What's going on, everyone? How's everybody doing out there in podcast land? Uh, we are back. This is Questions Like This. We are back with yet another episode. We are on episode nine right now, and we're feeling pretty uh, special today. So we decided for uh, for this week, our, uh, our actor we're uh, discussing is so intense and so very much like all the characters that he plays deserves not one, but two episodes dedicated to him. Yes, there's a there's a very clear, um, I guess, uh, a line of division in this uh, in this person's career where, um, you know, he starts off. It, he's a pretty respectable actor, and then uh, after '97, uh, his his career kind of took a well. After '97 or after like the early 2000s, he kind of kind of goes off the deep end and um, stars in at least five or six movies a year for reasons which we will discuss. That's right. And I mean, don't get me wrong. When this actor is is good, he's actually really good. Um, but when he's bad, he is spectacularly bad yeah he's uh he he occupies um i don't know he occupies kind of like an extreme in the sense where <laughs> like good or bad um he'll he'll chew the scenery he'll ham it up and uh oh yes and uh he'll embrace uh the script no matter how how shitty it might be uh, he he won't just embrace himself in the script. He will roll around and actually fester and marinate in the script at least three months before the movie is even shot. Yeah, we're talking we're talking about someone who uh, his agent uh, you know gives him. It's like, hey, uh, there's a script here, but I'm not really sure. I'll do it. That's uh, that's the but- kind of person he is. It, it, it's like you haven't even read the script. I don't care. I'll do it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he's been uh, he's been in so many movies that we we do have to uh, do two episodes because I feel like if we only do one, we, we we'll miss out on <laughs> literally half or more of his career. Pretty much, and we are talking about the one, the only, Mister Nicholas Cage, or. Uh... As he's known to his mother, uh, Nicholas Kim Coppola. But um, I'm sure right. his cousin uh, would likes to distance herself from him. That's right. In case you didn't know, Nicholas Cage is a actually a member of the legendary Coppola family. His uncle is the, the director of The Godfather uh, and Apocalypse Now, Francis Ford Coppola. And his cousin is Sofia Coppola, who uh, who was the baby being baptized and uh, grew up to direct some some pretty good movies on her own. That's right. So, That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Cage here comes from a stellar stellar uh, film family, but um, yeah, I think uh, he he chose his. Uh, pseudonym to uh i guess avoid seeming uh nepotistic or he didn't really want to cash in on the coppola name but uh well uh almost there actually is one film only one film where he is credited as nicholas coppola oh yeah um fast times at ridgemont high Richmond High, yep, that's it. <laughs> yeah, so um, if you didn't know, he he did start in uh, Fast Times at Richmond High with uh, Sean Penn, of course. Uh, Forrest Judge Whitaker, I think, um, is also in this movie as a bit character. Judge Reinhold. Um, For- and yeah. Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. Uh, Eric Stoltz. Uh, Eric Stoltz, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Lee. Jason Lee, of course. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, and a bunch of other uh, character actors that you'd come to recognize over the next 20 to 30 years. But it's interesting. He plays a character who doesn't even have a name. He has no name. He's just credited as uh, a Brad's bud. It, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so Judge Reinhold plays a character named Brad Hamilton. And there are scenes where he's just like, you know, hanging out with his uh, his friends, one of whom is played by a then 17-year-old, Nicholas Coppola, who uh, actually auditioned for the role of Brad, but it turns out he was a little bit... He lied about his age. The casting directors found out about it and essentially banished him to this role. Yeah, so Brad's bud. Uh, somewhat of an inauspicious start, but... Uh... Oh, yes. <laughs> and hey, you got to oh, start yeah. somewhere, though. That's true. But even back then, he was a little bit of a prima donna. Apparently, I was reading on IMDb how on the set, he would go around just boasting about himself all the time. He would say, like, you know, yeah, I'm Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. I'm going to be I'm gonna be a big star. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Fuck all of you guys. And... Uh, <laughs> The director, Amy Heckerling, found out about it, and let's just let's just say she gave him a very stern talking to. Which, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, w would this impact his later <laughs> career? Hmm, I don't know. Wonder, wonder, I, I wonder what, it, what, what uh, Amy Heckerling said, and... Uh, it was either a Amy Heckerling or Cameron Crowe who wrote the, the screenplay. screenplay. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, would this have any impact on his on his future career? <laughs> I guess we'll have to I guess we'll have to ask uh, the cager himself. Uh yes, if we ever come across him at some point. But yeah, uh 1982 Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And then uh, 1983, uh, Rumblefish. That's right. Directed by uh, his uncle. And yeah, and yeah, so around this time, he actually changed his name from Nicholas Coppola to Nicholas Cage uh, as a tribute to uh, his favorite, favorite uh, comic book character, Luke Cage. He's a big nerd, too. That's, uh, that's why I like mm -hmm. him. I think he owns uh, the first, I think he owns Batman number one. Action Comics number one, I believe. Action Comics number one, sorry. Uh, which is um, the first uh, Superman story. We'll, we'll get to that later on, his uh, obsession with Superman. Yeah, um, including the, <laughs> the infamous, uh, what's that movie called? Superman Lives? Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was supposed to be uh, a movie directed by uh, Tim Burton. But uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll definitely talk about it later. But um, I'm I'm torn between um, was it a good thing that it never got made, or was it a bad thing that it kind of <laughs> failed in production? <laughs> Well, based on the picture I've actually seen of him as Superman, uh, let's just say I'm glad it never got made. I don't know. I mean, I saw the same picture, and, uh, and I feel like the world lost uh, <laughs> a work of art. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was definitely a work of something, all right. Yeah. It just, it just he looked so distracting, you know? By this point, the only Superman you would have known would have, would have been Christopher Reeve. And he just looks so off. Compared to Christopher Reeve. Yes, um, and looking so off is also a trademark uh, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> uh, yes. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Rumblefish for a little bit. It's uh, mm. it's also a Essie Hinton novel. It's um, which uh, did Coppola also do The Outsiders? Uh, he did. Yes. Yeah, so it's around the same time. It's uh, I mean, I guess it's not really 
similar. But I mean, like the plot of the movie is basically uh, Mickey Rourke um, plays a what, what? What's his name again? Motorcycle boy, I think. Yeah, that's right. Like, so, some exactly kind of like m- like uh, yeah, former uh, former biker and uh, oh, quite the stretch. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, Matt Dillon, I think, is uh, Mickey Rourke's little brother in the movie who uh, who aspires to uh, take uh, fill in the shoes of uh, Mickey Rourke, who doesn't want to uh, be a gang member anymore. Mm-hmm. That's right. And if that plot sounds very similar to you, it's because they used it about 15 years later for American History X. Yeah, and uh, and basically uh, every movie about like uh, brothers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, almost exact same plot as uh, American <laughs> History X. <laughs> yeah, just take out a yeah, just the remove all aspects to to Nazis, and you have uh, Nazis and racism, and you have got Rumblefish. Yeah. Um... So yeah, Rumblefish. Uh, I mean, it's a uh, it's a pretty good movie. I I liked it. It's kind of a it's kind of artsy. It's uh, well, I mean, it's a classic kind of coming of age film. Yeah, but I mean, also just on a technical level, it's uh, it's in black and white. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got music by uh, the guy from uh, the Police. Not not mm-hmm. uh, not Sting, uh, Stuart Copeland. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, but th- this is when uh, Coppola was exploring his uh, artistic phase, like the artistic phase of his career. Like yeah, he had already absolutely. had, he had already had success with uh, both Godfather's one and two. Had success with the Conversation and Apocalypse Now, which uh, actually nearly killed him and half the cast. So he decided to, uh, I guess for most of his films in the 80s, take it a little bit easy. And I'll be honest with you, I've never actually seen Rumblefish before, but I want to. I want to see the uh, where the, the catalyst for all these uh, brother movies uh, came about. I mean, I guess uh, if you've seen like all the, all the like antagonistic brother movies, it's, it's very similar. <laughs> but... Um... I mean, you know, it's kind of like how every every sitcom ripped off uh, Seinfeld. And uh, if you've seen every sitcom since and then you watch Seinfeld and then it's like, well, I don't get it. It's kind of like, I guess it's kind of like that uh, feeling. Yeah, pretty much. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, Mickey Rourke's good. Um, the relationship between the brothers is explored pretty well. And uh it's also one of those movies where they get um, and novels that get the titles from a really, I guess, not that important part of the book. So, uh, like Train Spotting. That's right. <laughs> which is about uh, Scottish degenerates and not about uh, watching, watching trains, trains go by. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! But yes, uh, <laughs> Nicholas Cage. He is uh, he's playing a guy named Smokey here, one of the one of the hoodlums, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow! Okay. Yeah. How much you want to bet? How much you want to bet he actually begged his uncle for a role in this? I, you know, I think uh, I think Nicolas Cage actually wanted to be in The Outsiders instead of this one. Oh wow. Huh. I think I think I can't I can't confirm but I remember reading that somewhere. Might just pulling I might just be pulling that out of my ass but yeah. <laughs> um yeah. So he plays one of the hoodlums. Does he have any like memorable spots, memorable moments? I've seen this a while ago but um Basically, he's one of the one of the guys that is uh, egging uh, Matt Dillon on to, uh, you know, be hmm. uh, basically do these uh, these gang fights or uh, rumbles, if you will. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
Okay, so we see uh, where he gets his, uh, I guess, where he gets his caginess from. Yeah. I think because it started with this film. <laughs> um, his cousin's also in it, from what I remember. Um, Sophia is, uh, I don't know if she was like a, an important character. Might be. Might also just be like a bit. Like side character, um, Tom Waits is in it. The oh nice, uh, um, the infamously. Uh, I I don't even know how to describe his voice. He's um, uh, it's like if you smoked every cigarette ever made and uh, <laughs> chased it with every variety of whiskey from bourbon to scotch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, pretty much. Yes. Pretty much. Think uh think a more gravelly version of Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Um and yeah, if you listen to um Tom Waits songs it's almost it's almost like if you imagine uh if Rocks had a voice. <laughs> uh yeah, pretty much. But yeah, um, I think uh, the end of Rumblefish, you know, uh, Motorcycle Boy and uh, Matt Dillon's character, um, probably also some kind of silly name, uh, eventually uh, they reconcile. But uh, of course, just like like American History X, um, one of them dies Mm -hmm. and uh, the other has to live with that. So, yeah, it is basically American history X without the (laughs) racism. (laughs) Well, I think there might be some racism, but yeah. There 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 probably is, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) But yeah, um, it's not uh, it's not so much of a standout role for uh, our man, Nicolas Cage. But uh, oh, that that comes Three years later, in another one of his uh, uncle's uh, vehicles, Peggy Sue got married. Peggy Sue got married. A, uh, I guess, a reunion comedy uh, slash drama. I guess, where Kathleen Turner plays the world's oldest teenager. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Nicolas Cage plays uh, her husband. Uh, Peggy That's Sue's right. husband, that is. That's right. Uh, Charlie. Charlie Bodell oh, is yeah. his name. Uh, so the premise is um, they're, uh, both of them are attending their, uh, I think it's their 20th high school reunion. And then like, all of a sudden, at one point, she faints. And when she wakes up, she realizes she's back in high school. And... Can make now can now properly make the decision has a second chance to make the decision between choosing either Nicolas Cage's character or another guy she's really into. Oh, and featuring the uh, first ever film appearance of Jim Carrey. Oh yeah, as um, fuck, what's his name in this movie? I don't uh, know. But yeah, I want to say Chip. Chip. Uh- <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sounds like a Jim Carrey character, so. Well, I mean, it is. It's from the cable guy, but I think his <laughs> name is also Chip in this one, too. Uh, yeah. Um, Jim Carrey, man. I think we also have to do an episode on him. Yeah, but that that's more tragic, if anything, with Jim Carrey. It's like, it's like he is trying so desperately hard to get the audience to laugh with him that he's failing miserably. Yeah. And, uh, as time goes on, he gets, uh, he gets weird. Yeah. (laughs) You can say that again. So, uh, I mean, I guess it's, uh, I mean, Nicholas Cage also got weird, but, uh, it's a funny, it's a, it's, it's a funny type of eccentric, you know, not, not, yes. Not not a sad kind of weird. No, but uh, 
a weird that can definitely be enjoyed over and over for the next two lifetimes. Yeah. So uh, Peggy Sue got married, um, I guess, semi-time travel or a dream sequence movie. Um, mm-hmm. what, el- what else is... Uh, what else is going on in this movie? I think it was a. Uh, I think it was up for a couple of Oscars. Yeah, I think she was nominated for one. Kathleen Turner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was at her height. Mm-hmm. She was. She did *Romancing the Stone* and the the sequel, *The Jewel of the Nile*. Uh, she did *Peggy Sue Got Married*, and then the next year she did *Who Framed Roger Rabbit*. Um, but interesting note about *Peggy Sue Got Married*. Nicholas Cage was almost fired from the uh, from the set. <laughs> you know, um, given his, uh, I guess his uh, unprofessionalism, you gotta wonder uh, what exactly. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's to be honest, I actually just looked it up right before we shot this episode. So what it was. He made the decision to have his character have a very uh, offbeat, high-pitched, very nerdy kind of a voice. And Coppola just looked at him like he was nuts and asked him like constantly, like, what the hell you're doing with that voice? It doesn't belong in my movie. Why are you doing it? And threatened him to – and threatened to fire him <laughs> on – several several occasions until finally (laughs) until finally his nephew convinced them it's like no this voice actually makes sense let me do it oh man (laughs) jesus oh my god um give him credit for trying yeah Although you wonder, you know, what what the film would have been like if it would be remembered today if he just spoke in his normal voice. Like we said, uh, Nicolas Cage, uh, bad or good, he'll 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 marinate in the script and Mm. uh, (laughs) he'll yes, he'll he'll do what he thinks is best. And sometimes uh, he'll come to blows and. there's really not much uh, people can do against that. Even, no. even his own uncle. That's right. It's just like you know. Okay, do your thing. I'm not here to. I'm not here to judge. Just do your thing. You obviously know what you're doing, and uh, roll with it. Let's see if it works. Yeah. So uh, after uh, Peggy Sue got married, he was in a Coen Brothers movie, Raising Arizona. He was in a movie with Cher, uh, Moonstruck. Oh, my God. Yes, Moonstruck. It's one of those films that really has to be seen to be believed. And even and even after you see it, it is uh, quite unbelievable. And uh, the same thing with... Uh, the underappreciated 1989 Vampire's Kiss. Oh my God! No, an, an early no. look into his uh, insanity. <laughs> if you think uh, Peggy Sue got married or Moonstruck or uh, Raising Arizona, is, uh, you know, uh, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of out there. Um, Vampire's oh, he, Kiss is uh, the beginning of. Uh... It's beyond it's, uh, out there. Yes. No, whereas in Raising Arizona and Moonstruck, his characters can be considered quirky, you know, somewhat charming, very sympathetic. But in Vampire's Kiss, what the hell? Yeah, he's legitimately like... Well, so the plot of Vampire's Kiss is basically he's a literary agent for some reason. And uh, he believes he was bitten by a vampire. And uh, what follows is a descent into madness. As he believes, uh, as he, believes he is turning into one. And uh, even if you see clips, uh, I don't think you will believe that this is a real movie. Um, and yeah, it's, 
It's infamous. It's very, very infamous. <laughs> um, there's one scene where, for no reason whatsoever, while he's visiting his uh, his therapist, he just recites the alphabet. Not just recites it, he screams it. Yes. That's, uh, ooh. That's that's like uh, fingertip kisses in uh, in cinema mm. insanity. It's like mm, that is a masterpiece mm. right there, an un- an unintentional hilarity. That and whatever the hell that face is that people continue to make memes of. Yeah, um, everyone's seen that face, you know, where his eyes are like peeled back and he's uh, sporting like a manic grin or. Like his mouth is like yeah, basically he's either like affecting vampirism. <laughs> you, you you know the face, people. You know the face. You've seen it before. It's uh, yeah. It's it's lovely. It's uh, I I do oh. not recommend seeing this movie, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean see see it, but have a bottle of whiskey off to the side. Or, um, yeah, I, I don't Ever know. Cover. Maybe some good Kush, too. <laughs> Maybe that'll which, which he was probably, which, which he, he was probably smoking on the set of that in order to get into the character. I th- I think he was uh, he was probably on some stronger shit. Uh, <laughs> or maybe it's uh, it's him uh, on natural, man. Uh, what, do, what if Nicolas Cage does drugs and he becomes like a normal person? Ooh, that is a interesting concept. It's like right uh, it's like if uh, f- like Frank Zappa, you know, like the the famous experimental musician. He, uh, I think, an interviewer asked him like, "Oh, so uh, what drugs do you do?" And Frank Zappa's like, "No, I don't do drugs. Um, if I if I if I do drugs, I probably like do accounting or some 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 uh, yuppie shit like that." <laughs> oh my god. So, yeah, have you ever seen, well, hmm, I feel like we've already answered this question, but have you ever seen, like, a quote-unquote normal Nicolas Cage performance? Although, what is normal with him? What is normal? Like I I said, man, he occupies these extremes, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) It's like there is no middle ground. For him, like he either can be, either has to be too soft or too loud. Yeah, and uh, and even his characters, you know, it's uh, it's never uh, it's never someone uh, well adjusted. It's always either. Uh, well, I mean, uh, we'll we'll talk about uh, the the action trilogy uh, in a bit, but uh, yeah, you know, he's uh, he's an intense guy. Uh, you want to talk about intense? Uh, how about his performance in the the financial and critical bomb, uh, Deadfall? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where uh, he actually plays a cocaine dealer who gets into his own stash way too often. Hell yes. Um, is it biographic? Uh, we we won't say. <laughs> Uh, let's just say this: the movie itself has zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so I don't recommend actually watching the whole thing. Just type in Nicolas Cage Deadfall on YouTube, yeah. and just watch the ma- <laughs> just watch the magic. He's a guy who's strung out on coke half the movie. He's wearing these ridiculous shades. He has he's wearing the most ridiculous wig I've ever seen. Oh yeah, that, that, that shitty fucking hairstyle. What the hell is that? Well, it's a, a pattern he seemed to uh uh copy from because look at his hair now, or if if that if that's even his hair. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a it's a precursor, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, Deadfall came out in 1993. Thankfully. He was able to redeem himself two years later with the cinematic triumph. Yes, there actually is a triumph here 
the cinematic triumph known uh, as Leaving Las Vegas. And uh, yes, uh, if you don't believe us, he won a fucking Oscar for this movie. He did. You, <laughs> we now have the phrase Nicolas Cage Academy Award winner in our lexicon right now because Hollywood in 1995 <laughs> I don't know what I don't even know what won that year for best picture but yeah in in this movie he plays a uh, uh, incredibly alcoholic writer who's so despondent over his life that he goes to Las Vegas to literally drink himself to death. Yeah, and uh, along the way, he uh, strikes up a relationship with, uh, with a prostitute played by uh, Marty McFly's girlfriend. That's right, Miss Elizabeth Shue. Um, who is uh, being abused by uh, some kind of Baltic uh, pimp. from what I remember Lithuanian or Latvian or some other thing like that one one of those but yeah um, it's uh, like we said it's an intense movie it's uh, it's kind of disturbing like you know Mm -hmm. Nicolas Cage like playing an alcoholic and actively trying to kill himself in this movie Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah the uh the relationship between uh uh Nicolas Cage and Elizabeth Shue is uh i don't know how to describe it it's kind of uh it's like uh when it's... when when two desperate people kind of come together and like all they need is just like each other's each other. presence and like they just need to talk and like they really can't like improve one another's situations, but um, just being there for each other is is enough. Absolutely. By the way, uh, yeah. the best picture for the same year that Nicolas Cage won the Oscar it was Braveheart. Oh, Braveheart! Right. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, Mad, a, Mad Max uh, plays William Wallace. Yes. Um, God, what an odd year for movies. This is also the same year uh, Kevin Spacey uh, won Best Supporting Actor. Oh, for Seven, right. That no, no, was no, no, no. A... Usual Suspects. No, that was the next year. No, it's the same year. Uh, the 1996 uh, Academy Awards where uh, Nicolas Cage uh, won Best Actor. And oh, uh, Kevin Spacey okay. won for being Usual verbal Clint. Kent, yeah. Kent. Um, that's a good film. That should have won Best Picture. Yeah, uh, also has a guy with a silly voice. Uh, yes. What the hell even is that fucking <sighs> accent that uh, Benicio Del Toro put on? <laughs> I, I don't know, but it made everybody in the cast crack up. Yeah. Uh, Fenster? Yeah, Fenster. Fenster, that's right. <laughs> but between between his voice and uh, Gabriel Byrne not getting through one sentence without somebody going, huh? <laughs> it's one of those films where you have to listen really closely or put on subtitles to actually appreciate how good the writing is for that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Nicholas Cage somehow wins the uh, wins the Oscar for that, and then he goes on a tear. Then he goes and does the action trilogy which we're about to talk about. The, these three movies is probably where um, most people who aren't, who, who grew up in the 90s, I guess, or, or maybe even after that, uh, are aware of how they got aware of Nicolas Cage. And we're talking about the classics, uh, The Rock, Con Air, 
and of course, Face Off. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you know, it's uh, I mean, it's not really uh, you know, a trilogy, but it's uh, it is thematically a, tr- a trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of is because. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, pretty much. Thematically it is. And it starts with the does it start with Con Air or does it start with The Rock? The Rock. The Rock, yes. One of Michael Bay's a few good films. Yeah, and um I guess it, it it's got uh, the usual uh Michael Bay tropes, you know, um actors who are in this movie for some reason <laughs> and uh, and uh, plenty of explosions no uh, gratuitous uh, exploitation of women yet yeah um, well I mean it's uh, <laughs> it's a movie in a uh, set in prison I think that's uh, oh that's <laughs> that, that, that's probably hard for them to do yes but in addition to the cage, it stars the one and only Sean Connery. Mr. Mr. James Bond himself, uh, Mr. Indiana Sr. Uh, and Mr. also uh, RoboCop. Oh, RoboCop's in it? Really? Yeah, Ed Harris. Ed Harris is never in RoboCop. Was he not? No, you're thinking of somebody else. Are you sure? He, I'm sure. He does look like Ed Harris. Yes, the guy who played RoboCop, but it's not him. Fuck. Wait, was he? Are you sure? I am hang on one second. Let me let me look this up because I'm damn sure don't think Ed Harris is actually in Robocop. Right, that's Peter Weller. Fuck. Yes. They look very Peter similar. We- yes. <laughs> they do. Um, especially since at this point they're both um bald uh white men. Yeah, but Ed Harris has a thick Texan accent, so... That's true. But yeah, um, The Rock. It's, um... What is it? I think uh, they're ex-military, special air service, I believe, and uh, they have some, some nerve gas, and they... They take over Alcatraz, basically. That's right. And it's up to Nicolas Cage, uh, with the help of Sean Connery, playing a former Alcatraz inmate who's escaped uh, several times, to sneak back in and stop the bad guys. Yeah. um, I mean, I guess it's similar to the plot of uh, Metal Gear Solid, but... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, just imagine Nicolas Cage playing uh, Solid Snake. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, 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 no. Please, no. Please, no. (laughs) Um, God, I have a hard time listening to Kiefer Sutherland play Solid Snake nowadays. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Sean Connery, Ed Harris, uh, Michael Bean, um, who was the basis for the Metal Gear series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, fuck, who else was in this movie? Uh, John Spencer was in it from The West Wing. Oh wow. Yeah, I know, right? Huh. He plays the uh, the police chief. No, he plays the, the FBI director. The FBI, the FBI chief, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Oh, and uh, John C. McGinley is in it, Dr. Cox himself. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, so uh, it's a movie that has uh, actors which ought not to be in it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but they were in it, and it... Somehow made money. 
Yeah. Um, also, I like uh, Nicolas Cage's uh, character in this movie. His name is Stanley Goodspeed. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Who was snorting what when they came up with these names? It's um, it's Hollywood, baby. We don't <laughs> we don't need to make fucking sense. <laughs> It's like call. It's like calling a, a Bond girl Doctor Goodhead. Hell yes, or uh, Pussy Galore. Or Pussy Galore. That's right. Man, those are. Gotta love those names. Love those names. Oh God. So yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Rock made money. Uh, Nicholas Cage. Begins his steady ascent as an action hero. Uh, and the next one, which has even bigger stakes, the cinematic masterpiece known as Con Air. And yes, um, this one has uh, Nicolas Cage with, uh, I mean, I, is it a mullet or is it just long hair? Uh, I think it is a mullet, technically. Yeah. Um <clears throat> So, if you will, Nicolas Cage in this movie is uh, is a guy uh, in prison for manslaughter, and mm-hmm. he is due to be out on parole, and uh, he has to go on a prison transport. Mm-hmm. As as Nicolas Cage movies go, the prison transport uh gets taken over by prisoners and uh has to go uh being diverted to a uh non-extradition country so uh mm-hmm. yeah it's up to uh honorable uh honorably discharged uh Cameron Poe to stop this madness that name that name and Cameron Poe and his magical uh, disappearing and reappearing southern accent. Yeah. Um, I think if you like keep a tally of when uh, he, he, he turns it on and off, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Look, I mean... Oh, God. It, it's one of the easiest accents to do. Yeah, but he just, I don't know. Um, he just doesn't stick with it, which is strange. Well, he doesn't really commit. Because he, yeah. he thinks to himself at this time, it's like, yeah, I have a, I have a fucking Oscar with me. So, uh, yeah, I'll just do this film, get this paycheck, and uh, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, he's uh, for sure riding high. But uh, mm-hmm. besides... Uh, Besides Nicolas Cage, uh, again, this this is a period of stack movies. Um, you know, uh, good actors in in movies that surprisingly make money, mm-hmm. and uh, are critical failures. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's John Cusack. There's John mm-hmm. Malkovich. That's right. Steve Buscemi. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Ving Rhames. Yep. Danny Trejo. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, uh, someone you may recognize, Dave Chappelle, as the prisoner who incites the riot. That's right. And I, and I almost forgot he was in that until you just mentioned it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, like, I almost forgot, too. It's, uh, and then I, got, I thought about it. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was fucking Dave Chappelle. It's like, yeah, between Half-Baked and You've Got Mail, he made this. Yeah. um, Why? It's a good enough question. I I think, uh, yeah. (laughs) I I think that's where we stop with with that. Uh, Dave. First off, glad to see you back, Dave. You've been doing, you've been killing it ever since you came back. Yeah, um, 
Kind of bummed didn't get to see him at the uh, at Radio City, but same, same it here. It is what it is. The special but, was good though. It was both of them. Mm-hmm. And sorry, going back to Con Air for one second. I feel like that film is memorable for one reason and one reason only, and that is the classic. Nicholas Cage in very bad Southern accent uh, drawl saying the line, I said, put the bunny back in the box. Um, 100 years, 100 quotes. <laughs> uh, maybe in the next 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Maybe- Maybe when AFI celebrates its 300th anniversary, they'll put that on there. Yeah. What a movie, man. Um, It's it's completely retarded. (laughs) Um, Yes, but not as retarded as the very next film he did. How would you call it? It's, It's not a masterpiece. It's... I th- well, I, I it, think it is a masterpiece, but, you know, it's... Uh, mm. It was like it was designed mm. by God. That's how I describe it. In terms of, one, great action, and two, unintentional hilarity. Yeah, it's... um. Okay, so of course we're talking about the movie Face Off, uh, yes. featuring uh, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, it's a John Woo number. That's right. So you are going to see uh, plenty of action scenes that don't make sense, plenty of moments where both uh, Cage and Travolta jump through the air shooting two guns, even though nobody does that in real life. And plenty yeah. of doves. And plenty of doves, even in uh, even in places you wouldn't expect them to be. Like a freaking church. Yeah. What? Like what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I need to come across an interview with John Woo where he explains the symbolism of said doves. Yeah. I mean, I think he just likes it when they, when they fly, you know. Looks cool or whatever. I guess. Maybe he just has a hatred of, of doves. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I get it. I, maybe for, I, I have yet to see either uh, The Killer or Hard Boiled. Maybe it makes more sense in those movies. Maybe it's a moment of a, of catharsis after the big uh, the big shootout in the end, but I don't know. With movies like Face Off and Mission Impossible Two, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, um, but let's uh, let's talk about the premise a bit more because uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, very <laughs> retarded. Yes. So let's begin. So uh, Travolta plays an FBI agent named uh, Sean Archer, who for years has been after this uh, terrorist played by Nicolas Cage named Caster Troy, who – and Travolta is hell-bent on revenge because Cage accidentally murdered his son about three years before the plot took place. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I guess the uh, story proper, you know, it, it kind of starts when uh, Sh- uh, John Travolta's character finally ambushes um, Nicolas Cage at uh, LAX, and mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I think that got knocked into a coma. Yeah, uh, Cage get, character gets knocked into a coma, and Travolta finds out that there's a bomb that's set to go off somewhere in L.A., but he doesn't know where. 
So they come up, the FBI, let me just say this again for emphasis. The FBI comes up with this grand solution for Travolta and Cage to literally switch faces and have Travolta as Cage go undercover in like in this supermax prison where Cage's brother currently sits and find out where it is. Yeah. So um just to just to repeat, um the FBI is uh asking John Travolta and actually made John Travolta do a face transplant. So he can go into prison and find out where the bomb is. Yeah. This movie's retarded. I, you know, when when you think of movies that are, like, actually get made, sometimes you wonder what, like, what doesn't get made? Because if this shit can get made, like, seriously, what the hell? <laughs> That's a question even I don't want to find out. I mean, did someone like, I don't know, like, so they only swapped the face and somehow, um, you know, uh, their bodies also become... (laughs) (laughs) each other's i don't i don't know it's uh yeah that's uh, i think it would be more believable if they said they swapped each other's brains yes that would make just a little bit more sense but the idea that they well first swapped uh body structure size and basically having basically getting down uh, like impersonating the voices after only a few tries is incredibly ludicrous yeah um so yeah basically the entire movie is uh John Travolta playing Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage playing John Travolta because of course Nicolas Cage has John Travolta's face now that's right. And because it's directed by John Woo, the uh, the whole premise of the movie basically is who can overact the most? <laughs> or who and boy. can uh, who can <laughs> who can chew up the most scenery when they're on screen? And boy, that's uh that's a fucking movie. <laughs> Yeah, you can say that again. There's one memorable scene where uh, the Travolta as Cage uh, escapes the prison and he meets up with his uh, his henchmen at his place. And one of his henchmen has seen, they're like, no, what, when you finally get to him, what, what are you going to do? And Cage goes, I'd like to take his face off. Yeah, why, why isn't this in the uh, National Library? Um, <laughs> it's just... Mwah, the line is said so perfectly. Yeah, it's, it's just the, the earnestness of this movie, I guess. <laughs> that's right. Um, oh, man. But yeah, I mean, like, I do want to say, though... Uh, the action scenes are actually pretty lit. They are. They really are, which is you I mean you can expect that from a from a John Woo film. John mm-hmm. Woo films his action scenes have always uh, delivered. Yeah, um I I just still uh I'm just still confused why um he wanted to do this premise. Hmm, that is a very good question. Hang on, let me see if there's a a reason behind it. 
Oh, Jesus. I keep forgetting there's also a show called uh, Face Off as well. Wait, really? Yeah. Is it, is it like a movie adaptation? Not even close. It just has to deal with plastic surgery. Oh. I thought it was uh, going to be like Lethal Weapon or The Exorcist. <laughs> no, Lethal Weapon already has its own TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, apparently uh, Face Off was a spec script that was initially written in 1990, but was in development hell for several years. At one point, they were trying to make it into a Stallone and Schwarzenegger movie. Holy shit, a moly. Um, I would <laughs> see that fucking movie, man. I would too, honestly. You just imagine instead of like two actors trying to ham it up, it's just like two people that don't speak English, like trying to <laughs> talk to each other. Right. It's uh, Schwarzenegger in his uh, very thick Austrian accent and Stallone uh, speaking Stallone. You gotta give us the advice. <laughs> oh my god. That's a sneak preview, folks. Sneak preview. Uh, Salone Schwarzenegger 2020. Face off part de. Face off part de. Because uh, it's a fucking art movie, man. <laughs> man. It, can you imagine if they actually made that movie? Uh, give it every single award: best actor, best best actress, uh, best sound, um, best editing, make, best best everything, best everything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck you, Cecil B. DeMille. This is movies. <laughs> you're you do realize you're cursing out a dead man, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of the point. Uh, I know, <laughs> man. But oh, yeah, I, oh. I, I still can't believe Face Off for for however like ridiculous and stupid the premise is. It was it was like not completely trashed and actually made a lot of fucking money for its budget. Not only that, not only that, it was actually a critical hit. Guess Jesus what, fucking Christ. Guess what percentage it is on Rotten Tomatoes right now? What? Eight, eight, so, like 70 maybe? 60? Try 92. Oh my God. 92%. <laughs> I'm done. What? What? what, what <laughs> This is what it says. I have the consensus review up right now. It says, Travolta and Cage play cat and mouse and literally play each other against the beautifully stylized backdrop of typically elegant, over-the-top John Woo violence. God damn. Roger Ebert, of all people, gave it thumbs up. Well, uh... <laughs> If a uh, if friend of the show, Roger Ebert, uh, <laughs> approves of this movie, <laughs> then uh, what the fuck do I know, man? Exactly. No, not. Oh, my God. <laughs> Roger Ebert enjoyed it. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone enjoyed it. Richard Corliss of Time enjoyed it. And he hates everything <laughs> or he hated everything. May he rest in peace. Richard Corliss. Oh, man. Um, is he uh, is he a caustic critic? Is 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 that his his style of uh, criticism? I, I I remember like him like trashing a few movies. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you had a few critics out there that were like channeling the spirit of uh, Bosley Crowther, like they were doing it, you know, for the good of uh, of filmmaking, defending the honor of filmmaking itself. Yeah. Um, damn. He liked he liked this fucking movie, Face Off. Jesus. He did. He said, The film isn't just a thrill ride. It's a rocket into the thrilling past. 
when directors could scare you with how much emotion they packed into a movie. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, you know what? That's actually like fucking, (laughs) fucking incredible. It is. (laughs) And I think that's where we can, uh, that's where we can leave off for, uh, for this week. Yeah, like we said, um, Nicholas Cage's uh, oeuvre cannot be restricted just one hour. Uh, no. He, he's done too many movies, and, and there's so much more to go through. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we, we'll start off with Gone in 60 Seconds. How about that? Yes. Oh, that's a great film. It's a great it's, film. Uh, it's the precursor to um, Fast and Furious. To the <laughs> to the Juggernaut franchise, uh, Fast and Furious. That's right. And uh, also, uh, join us next time when. Uh... Hmm. Let me see. Hang on. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll be talking about uh, National Treasure. I mean, Ghost of Rider. Bangkok Dangerous, and of course, the one you've all been waiting for, The Wicker Man. That's right. And we'll also talk about the time where uh, Cage actually stepped behind the camera into the director's chair and where he inexplicably played a part in a movie that he directed, mind you. He played a part in a movie called Acid Yellow. Who is a pimp. Who is a uh... pimp. Oh man, um, I I I <laughs> I have to I have to go into this movie because it's it's very special. Yes. <laughs> so okay. yeah, um, I think that's it for uh, the the first half of uh, Nicholas Kim Coppola's career, and that's uh, right. The next episode, he'll be. He'll be diving into uh, the deep end, and uh, there's no coming back. Nope. If you if you looking up, look him up on IMDb or Wikipedia, um, you'll notice uh, an uptick in movies per year. That's right. And uh, and we'll talk we'll we'll talk about uh, possible reasons why. Uh, we'll, we'll yeah. Um, uh. And, uh, <laughs> Just uh, just a crazy amount of shit that he's done. All right, so this week we're going to be closing out with um, the song from Con Air, uh, How Do I Live by Trisha Yearwood. All right, so yeah, this is uh, Questions Like This. Thank you for listening to... Uh, this is actually uh, episode eight. Is it? Uh, I fucked up. Uh, I thought it was episode uh, eight last time. It was uh, episode seven last time. Okay, then I I was wrong. I'm sorry, folks, uh, for confusing it. Shit happens. But yeah, uh, my name is uh, Aristo. And I'm Alex. And yeah, uh, see you next time for uh, part two of our deep dive into Nicolas Cage's career. Or uh, the question we we'll want to ask is, can Nicolas Cage say no? <laughs> and we're about we're going to find out for you next week. Take care, everyone. See ya.
You know that you're 